Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's event, The Road to COP26, where we are asking the question, is beef a climate change villain? Today's event is organized by Apex Brazil and the Brazilian Embassy in London with Euractiv as a media partner. We'd like to welcome our guests from around the world and particularly in Brussels, London and Brazil. My name is Dave Keating and I'm coming at you live from the Euractiv studios at the heart of the EU quarter. Now today's event is coming at a time when we're just a few weeks away from the COP26 UN Climate Summit taking place in Glasgow. And it's especially important this year because, of course, it is the postponed event that was supposed to take place last year, but obviously couldn't because of the pandemic. Now, countries are still putting forward their net zero pledges in the run-up to this summit, and debate has intensified on strategies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions across different sectors. Now, the sector that's usually most in focus is energy, which includes transport energy, industry energy, building energy. Energy accounts for the biggest contribution to climate change, 73.2% of greenhouse gas emissions. But other sectors also have a role to play here, and one of those sectors is agriculture, which also makes a significant contribution to emissions and to climate change. Now, within that sector, beef is often used as an example of how the rearing of animals, including the food needed to feed them, contributes to emissions. But is it being appropriately targeted? In the United Kingdom, they recently published their National Food Strategy, which proposes to reduce meat consumption by 30% over 10 years. And that is being done as a means for the UK to reach its net zero targets. This idea has been controversial, with many asking whether it's really feasible or realistic to make people eat less meat, especially in developing countries with an expanding middle class who haven't been able to enjoy eating meat very often in previous decades. So some are asking, is the better solution to, to just increase the sustainability of livestock rearing in a way that is concordant with the demand from consumers? Or is the solution to try to adjust that demand from consumers? That's what we'll talk about today. We'll hear about initiatives already underway to improve beef rearing sustainability. And we'll also hear about the possibilities for future initiatives to lower the emissions uh, from this type of agriculture. Now, during the debate, you guys at home will have the opportunity to ask your questions to the panelists. You can do that using the chat feature on Vimeo that's just to the right of your screen, the chat box. Go ahead and type in your questions there starting now. I will see those questions and I'll be reading those out to our panelists toward the end of the panel. So now let me introduce the panelists that you guys will have the opportunity to ask your questions to. First, we have Sinero Costa Jr., a researcher at the Alliance of Biodiversity International and the research organization, the International Center for Tropical Agriculture. Welcome, Sinero. Marianne Crespolini, director of irrigation and sustainable production at the Brazilian Ministry of Agriculture. Eduardo Brito Bastos, director of sustainability at Bayer Crop Science Brazil. And Donald M. Broom. Emeritus Professor of Animal Welfare at the University of Cambridge. Thank you all so much for joining us here today for this very timely discussion. Uh, Sinero, let's start with you. Tell us about the situation globally when it comes to beef and CO2 emissions. 
Sure, thanks, Dave, and thanks all for the opportunity to be speaking here today. And uh, well, I'd like to start saying that the question of this event is actually a, a really tough one, right? The VLAN, so recognizing VLANs is uh, is difficult in a moment that all sectors of the economy must be actually reducing emissions and fast to avoid drastic changes in climate, while we secure uh, food income and jobs, for example, and globally. So in this context, however, the land use and agriculture sector, uh, as you mentioned, uh, and the beef production specifically have interesting particularities, right? So the, um, to bring up some numbers here, so the land use and agriculture sectors uh, emit approximately 25% of global emissions altogether. Half uh, comes from agriculture production of uh, this share in which the livestock uh, activities are responsible for about 60% or 15% of global emissions, right? And in this context, uh, beef production uh, corresponds to about 40% of livestock uh, emissions or 5% of global emissions. So in, in, in many countries, uh, especially in developing countries, uh, part of uh, beef production is, is still linked to recent uh, deforestation and the share of livestock in many countries emissions can, can be over uh, 50%. So uh, in addition, uh, emissions from livestock are supposed to increase in the coming years as demand for livestock products will grow. So this is especially applicable to, to beef, which production uh, is projected to, to increase by 20% in 2050, according to uh, FAO estimates. Um, but yet, it's important to remember that beef production has a long and fragmented value chain and a large range of types of farms and production systems. And we know that approximately 60% of the beef cattle value chain emissions or from farm to fork comes from farming activities. And that on-farm management or farming management influence very much the level of production and associated greenhouse gas emissions. So for example, uh, what we have seen in, in developing countries is in, in especially in Brazil that farms uh, rely on degraded land to produce beef uh, uh, compared to farms with measures on pasture management, animal feeding, an integrated system, for example. Uh, so improved farms with, again, measures on management, pasture and animal management, integrated system, for example, they can be seven times, ten times more productive, productive than a, a degraded uh, area and emit at least 50% less uh, greenhouse gases associated to the beef production, right? So uh, when we look at these numbers uh, globally, right? So the, the large scale implementation of those practices or low emissions practices, improved beef production and other uh, downstream measures, measures in, in processing and retailing, for example, we, we could reduce about 65% of the global beef production emissions by 2050 along with a 20% increase in production. So it's possible to increase, increase produ production and reduce emissions because we have a large window 
to, to be able a, a large opportunity to increase uh, efficiency in production. So these numbers make the, the beef cattle sector uh, or the beef cattle value chain one of those with the largest mitigation potential across food systems, right? So improving efficiency of uh, beef cattle production is, is critical to allowing food systems to reach uh, a net zero uh, target by 2050 or any other climate targets. And to, and, and, and again, to, to wrap up my, uh, my, my, my talk here, that when, when it comes to, to the question of this event again, we need to remember that with no exceptions, all sectors of the economy must reduce emissions and fast to avoid drastic changes in climate. And when we talk about beef production, we, we have indications uh, on what is needed to be done. And part of the answer is finding solutions for scaling best practices in different countries and, and regional contexts. So, and, and it brings up a necessity or, or a special focus on finance and technical assistance to scale these best practice. So I, I stop there and, and back to you, Dave. Thanks, De Niro. That's really interesting hearing the contrast between different parts of the world and also what a difference different technologies and methods can make. Um, Marianne, let's turn to you next. Tell us a little bit about the situation specifically in Brazil for beef. Morning, good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here. Could you please share my, my slides? Yes, so next, please. Uh, Sinido already told something about, but as you can see here, when we talk about beef, we must talk about sustainable intensification. In the left side from the fence, we can see uh, there is uh, we can see that there is one head per hectare and we produce 50 kilos beef per hectare. In these systems, the cows are emission greenhouse gas and we do not have a pasture to compensate the emissions. But in the right side from the fence, this is the solution for the beef sector. We can produce five, we can have five heads per hectare and we can produce 10 times more beef. And here, uh, there is an important point. Uh, maybe you will think, uh, if I have 10 times more cows, I will produce 10 times more methane, right? So no, as uh, Sinir already told, when cattle is raised on very well pasture management, decrease the amount of uh, greenhouse gas emission. But there is a very important point. Uh, in well-managed pasture are capable to reduce this emission and also to fix carbon in the soil. Probably Eduardo Bastos will talk deeply about that. And please, one more. Next slide. And as you can see here, one more click. Brazil already have scientific protocols that prove that in this right size of the fence, we can have the low carbon emission meat where, where parts of the greenhouse emission are compensated by the pasture. One more, please. And uh, very, very, very important. When we have trees in the crop, livestock and forest integrate systems that has increased very fastly in Brazil, we can neutralize 
all the beef emission. As you can see here, it's a Embrapa, it's a scientific protocol where we can guarantee by third certification a carbon neutral Brazilian beef. One more, please. Uh, and if you would like more details, this is a open a public document that is in Brapa website in English, where you can check more details about this uh, production system. One more. I, I really love this picture. I took this picture while I was doing my PhD research. And look, look this picture, July has been two months that is not, we do not have rain in Brazil. On May, it stopped our raining systems. As you can see here, this is a tropical technology. It's not a irrigation area. This is a, a, an area where uh, the farmers, they plant soy, soybeans from October to January. They, then when harvests the soybean, they plant corn from January to May. And when plant corn, we, we also plant the pasture seeds together in the same area. So when we harvest the corn, you can see here on May, June, July, August, where it's a really dry season, we have this pasture condition in Brazil. So this double or this triple crop in the same area is where we can also neutralize the beef emission of greenhouse gas. This is sustainable uh, intensi sustainable intensification of tropical uh, agriculture. Please, one more. So here, it's a real example. It's Santa Brigida Farm. You can also find more information about Santa Brigida in the website. In the left side was Santa Brigida in 2006 and Santa Brigida now. So uh, you can see more production, more profitability. I, we can discuss this up later. Cheapest food and environmental conservation in the same area. This must be the strategical. One more, please. This is the last. So just to finish, to emphasize that Brazil has a public policy that we call, we call low carbon emission in agriculture. The name is ABC. ABC completes 10 years. And now we are in the new phase, the ABC plus. And one important from this figure that I would like to emphasize is increase production in the same area and preserve native vegetation by the forest code. So in the back of this picture, you can see uh, that at least 20% from a private farm, a private property in Brazil, must be dedicated to native vegetation. This is a, a national law. So to finish my last slides, and I can, I'm totally available later to give you more details about the ABC public policy. And to finish, when I look for this picture, it seems to me an animal, a breed from Europe. But this animal is raised in Rio Grande do Sul. Uh, it's the state's the border from Uruguay here in Brazil. From Rio Grande do Sul to Amazon region is the same distance between London and Moscow. So, of course, that we have a huge challenge in Brazil, but we are a continental country. And here in Ministry of Agriculture, we are working to improve and to increase the production in the same area with low carbon emission technology. Thank you so much. 
Thanks, Marianne. We will we'll come back to this issue of profitability that you mentioned uh, in the discussion. Uh, but next, I want to turn to Eduardo for uh, a private sector perspective on this topic. Eduardo, you've been working on soil sequestration. Um, what is its role in climate change, particularly as it relates to cattle farming? Thank you. Thank you for this amazing opportunity. I have to say that I'm really happy to be here with all of you, but uh, uh, particularly Siniru, Mari, it's really good to see you again. It's been quite a long time. Uh, I will cover here uh, for this those initial topics uh, two uh, uh, themes. It's the land degradation and the carbon balance, which is really important when you talk about carbon because it's very common, most of the times we talk about emissions. As Siniru said, and just to remember, uh, AFOLU or agriculture forests and other land uses counts for something around one fourth of the emissions, 25%. 15, if we consider livestock, five beef. So yes, it is important, 5%. Uh, and there is approximately 1 billion people living fully related to uh, cattle production. Most for self-sufficiency for production, but uh, it is a huge amount. This is by far the biggest employee employer in the world. Uh, for people, it's a uh, uh, livestock sector, the beef sector. But it's important to understand that when you talk about this, you remember when Mariani showed the picture, the degraded pasturelands. Yes, degraded pasturelands emits much more than the pasture can capture. So the animal plus the pasture will emit more than the capture. But when, it go, when we go to the other side, when you see the pasture, if you have a well-management pasture, we can capture more than the cattle will emit. So uh, Dave, asking the first question, when, when you mentioned oh, the, 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 uh, uh, the national food strategy in UK, actually the challenge is eat more beef but guarantee that the beef will come from a, a, with a full traceability systems that can guarantee that, yes, it comes from a very well-managed pasture that, again, this system will capture more carbon than they emit. So this is all about balance. And, uh, and the reason that we are not talking that much, it's for obvious reasons, 75% uh, of the global emissions came from energy sector, transport, everything related to fossil fuels. So there's, it's very difficult to capture. But again, plants capture carbon. It's photosynthesis. It's quite easy to remember. So a well-management system, again, capture more than emits. And in the second part, and it's fully related to the first one, it's land degradation. So Sinido also mentioned that and the, the, the pictures and what Mariana, Mariani said, uh, if we overgrazed, we will destroy the potential of grass to capture carbon and storage carbon. No, the, 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 the leaves will capture, but actually what capture carbon and, and uh, a very good and stable kept, uh, uh, carbon, it's roots. So the roots will capture that, will kept in the soil, and then if you can add, for example, uh, uh, forest in the systems, in a silvopastoral systems, we can add much more carbon and keep again the carbon there, besides the, the good uh, side effect of uh, animal welfare. 
So those are the main concepts that I really want to share here because it's important to understand. And for me, uh, and one thing that we are working uh, uh, as a private sector, it's how can we help farmers to move in the right direction? As Sinido mentioned, and I will reemphasize here, it's all about technical assistance and financing. If we can move in that direction, we can help to bring much more farmers in the right way as we still have today, unfortunately, almost one third of the area in Brazil, it's overgrazed slash degraded pasture. So we can uh, uh, recover those areas and come back to the systems uh, for pasture or even for agriculture or replant areas. So there is a way and uh, there is the, the way that we should go together. Thank you. Thanks, Eduardo. Let's turn to Donald next. So we've been hearing a lot about different systems for uh, raising livestock so far. And Donald, you've recently written a paper on techniques for carbon neutrality for beef. Um, so tell us, what is the difference between these different techniques, uh, specifically when it comes to carbon neutrality? Thank you. And the, uh, the first point, um, if you could put the uh, PowerPoint up, please, uh, the first point is that uh, sustainability has very many components and we are focusing a lot on uh, greenhouse gases, but in the long run, we need to think about all aspects of sustainability. So a system or a procedure, including something like a, a beef production is sustainable if it is acceptable now and if its expected future effects are acceptable. And that includes the availability of resources, all of the consequences of the functioning of the system and the morality of the action which is being carried out. And we actually can measure all of the different components of sustainability and we can score these and hence work out how sustainable different systems are uh, at using the best possible scientific information. And there are thousands of publications on this subject. Uh, my, my own, uh, uh, next slide please, my own uh, history is that I started working on animal welfare, but the last 10 or 15 years, I've been looking at the whole area of sustainability. And I've looked at, looked at beef production systems in particular, scoring them uh, how negative they are from zero, so not negative, to minus five. And also I noted where consumers are avoiding systems completely, where some consumers are avoiding systems. And so that was scored as a, as a Z. So the sustainability components, which I've been, uh, which I've included in this analysis, there are 12 of them, are firstly, uh, human welfare, in particular, the health of the consumer. Uh, secondly, the welfare of the cattle. Thirdly, the efficiency of the use of world resources. And there are three aspects of this. The first of them is land usage. So, uh, and the, one of the, these points have been mentioned a bit already, but uh, one thing, that is grown is grass and the leaves of plants which humans cannot consume. And about more than 40% of the world is an air, are areas where they can be farmed, but nobody can, nothing can be produced except leaves which humans can't eat. So that's a very important situation because then we can use animals like ruminants, uh, like cattle or sheep or other, uh, uh, or, or indeed uh, herbivorous fish which can eat these leaves. And that's an important thing in comparison with land which can produce uh, grain, uh, can produce wheat or maize or soya, 
which humans could eat directly. Uh, then the, the second area of efficiency of use of resources is the what is the land area which is needed to produce, in this case, to produce one kilogram of meat in the analysis I did. And then the third is how much water is needed. And water is something which is enormously valuable in some parts of the world, somewhat less valuable in others because it's more readily available, but actually becoming more important everywhere in the world. So how much conserved water is needed to produce a kilogram of meat is another thing which has been the subject of scientific publications. But then we have the greenhouse gas production. Again, it needs to be the production per unit of product. And you've heard some mention of this already. And then aspects of pollution. So water pollution, how much nitrogen and phosphorus are being put into the environment, uh, how much the cycles are being disrupted. Again, this is something which is being measured with hundreds of papers every year on the, on the topic. And then biodiversity. Decline in biodiversity has become one of the most important things for many consumers recently. And we can assess how much biodiversity is declining uh, for different kinds of systems. And then you just heard about carbon sequestration. Uh, how much is the carbon loss occurring? So you start off with forest, you remove it, and you change it to another system. You can evaluate how much decline in carbon sequestration occurs with different kinds of, of beef production system. Uh, I've also looked at other things which are important to consumers like genetic modification, fair trade, preservation of rural communities, but actually in this comparison of beef systems, there wasn't any difference. So, I, so that doesn't come into the calculation. So then what beef production systems are there? And it's important to know, and you, again, you've heard some of this already, that there are extensive pasture systems which may be degraded or not degraded, and that's a very important difference. There's fertilized irrigated pasture, and the animals may be fed extra concentrates, extra grain or other concentrates, or not fed extra concentrates, just living on the, the pasture plants. <clears throat> and then there are feedlots, and the feedlot is only a relatively small part of the animal's life, so you have to look at the rest of the life, where do they come from before the feedlot? And then indoor housing is another system. Again, uh, where do they come from before they're put in the indoor housing? Um, and then we have the uh, silver pastoral systems. And the semi-intensive silver pastoral systems are, have, have done really well in this analysis. So uh, I put in a picture to show you uh, a, a beef animal in, uh, in fact, this one is in Colombia, but it could just as well be in Brazil because these systems are also used in, in Brazil, they're used in Mexico, they're used in Australia, they're used in India, they're used in many countries around the world. And in these systems, uh, the most successful of them are the ones where as well as pasture plants, there are shrubs which are high protein, and these provide a lot of nutrients for the animals, and there are trees which provide uh, shade, but also in the best systems, they are also they also have edible leaves. So these are the systems I've investigated. The next slide, please. And uh, what I'm just going to give you, uh, there are 12 things I've looked at, 12 components of sustainability. I'm just going to give you results for two of them and then the total, total sustainability score. So what happened in this study was that the worst system for greenhouse gas production, and you've heard this already, is degraded extensive pasture. That's the worst. The more degraded, the worse it is. Extensive pasture, which is not degraded, was much better, but still had a high score for greenhouse gas production. 
But if you had extensive pasture, which had these shrubs and trees as well, so the semi-intensive silver pastoral, then you had high productivity and that greenhouse gas production per unit of, of meat was actually amongst the best of the systems. Uh, and then the, so the feedlot systems, it depended what the animals were eating beforehand, uh, how well they did, and the same with indoor housing. So the next slide shows uh, the, uh, the animal welfare scoring. I just put these two in. Um, so cattle welfare, uh, again, degraded pasture is bad because you have starving animals for some of the time. Uh, extensive pasture, which is not degraded or fertilized pasture, much better for the animals. Silver pastoral systems, much better for the animals. The feedlot systems don't do as well in this case. The welfare is not as good in several ways. Uh, uh, the, the feedlot systems don't do quite as well, and the indoor systems do a little worse than the feedlot systems. So when I looked at all of these uh, 12 components of sustainability, the next slide shows the overall score that came out of it, and you see that it's a minus score, and so the bigger the number, the worse the system is, and uh, the Zs are where some consumers are refusing to buy the product if it comes in this way. Um, so the, in, with the overall sustainability, uh, the extensive pasture which was degraded was bad, the feedlot systems were bad, the indoor housing systems were bad, and there were various reasons for this. I've only been able to show you some of the scoring. For example, where there's a very large amount of grain being fed, and all of this is taken into account, not just the, where, the, where the animal is spending most of its time, but if they are being fed grain, then, then that is a less efficient system and it has various consequences. So, and it uses a lot of land and it uses a lot of water. So the, 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 uh, the best system was the, was the silver pastoral system and extensive systems which were not degraded, including fertilized pasture without concentrates, came out quite well in this study. So the best systems were much better than the worst systems. The next slide. Uh, just is summarizing this and saying, what are the general conclusions? The first conclusion is it is not logical just to refer to beef. You have to say what the system is. The best systems were very much better than the worst systems. And you've heard this from other speakers as well. So what we need to do is to go to the best systems. We perhaps need to reduce the total amount of beef consumed, but we need to go for the best systems. And extensive grazing that causes land degradation is something which really needs to be prevented as much as possible. And that's something to debate. How do we do that? The use of feedlots and indoor housing was overall not very good. And that is a rapidly expanding system in the world. So probably we need to change how we are, how we are keeping our animals. And we need to use the most, the best systems, the most sustainable systems. So silver pastoral systems if you can do it, but well-managed pasture-fed uh, beef works well uh, in places where crop production is not economic. So that's also a sustainable system. And at the bottom, you can see the reference to the paper which has just come out, has come out a few months ago uh, on this subject. Okay, thank you very much. 
Thanks a lot, Donald. So I wanted to go back to something that Marianne said uh, in her remarks earlier, which is about the profitability, because we know that uh, for farmers, their main concern is going to be putting food on the table for their family, right? And the concerns about climate change are kind of these big picture concerns that are for some people a kind of luxury to think about, really. So when we're talking about these different techniques, we also probably need to keep in mind, how do we bring the farmers along? Um, and so Donald just there, he laid out a whole bunch of uh, different technologies, different techniques that can impact emissions. But what are the impacts of these types of practices on the, the economic aspects? Uh, Siniro, let me put that to you. How can we bring farmers along on this journey and, and what would be the impact of some of these, these different methods that you were also talking about on the bottom line, on the economics? Should I set off? Yes, yes, Siniru, please. Okay, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting question and the important one, of course. Uh, well, the bottom line is that making this movement from degraded to improved um, livestock system or any kind of agriculture system costs, right? It's not cheap and actually rather expensive, right? But we uh, know that there are a few studies showing that these investments uh, pay off once you implement better practices, right? Of course, there are many variables around this, uh, this issue, but the, the takeaway message is that we can, or the system can pay off investments, right? So the, but the main barrier that we need to remember is that investments and also technical system assistance uh, lack in some parts of the globe. So that's the main barrier we face and the, that we need to overcome to be a chance to, uh, uh, to invest in this kind of system, um, get away of, uh, get rid of degradation, establish a new system and have a chance for the system to pay off farmers. Eduardo, Eduardo, you're working directly with farmers in the private capacity, so I want to get your take on this. Eduardo, when you're working with people about soil sequestration methods and, and trying to convince people to, to use this technology that, that you guys are selling, how do you convince them that it's going to be good both for the environment and for their bottom line? Yes, it's, it's a very good question. Actually, uh, one of the best ways it's the, the return on investment. So uh, we sit with the farmers, you know, to put that in the paper to understand that, okay, you will invest because uh, uh, I saw one of the questions about the recover the graded pasture lands. It's also about, yes, there's a fencing, so you can put fences and then give time to the pasture to recover. If you want to speed up, you will have to. Uh, uh, but some fertilizers could be chemical fertilizers, nitrogen, could be organic fertilizer, uh, could be even trees that can capture like leucainas in, in some areas in the world. So there's a lot of opportunities, but there's uh, a money to be invested and then we can, uh, you know, do that. But in the end of the day, we are talking first about increased productivity. So as you remember the, when Mariana said the, 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 the numbers, but we are talking about five kilos to 50 kilos. 
So there is an increase in productivity, which is in the end of the day, the firm say, I don't sell area uh, hectares, you know, I sell uh, kilos or pounds of beef. So we will increase. So that's for me the, 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 the main point here. And then for sure, there's a lot of other good side effects, like uh, you increase the carbon content, you will increase the, as you increase organic matter, you know, to increase carbon content, but organic matter also captures more, captures any storage more water. So uh, we are also talking about resilience. So in a crazy world that we are living, we are all living, you know, with climate change, uh, it's really important to build about uh, this that we call adaptation and mitigation. So it's also about to be more resilient to the climate change when you add more, for example, organic matter, when you have a better uh, rotational system. So that's that's the main uh, approach with farmers that we are doing today. Thank you. Mariana, what's been the situation in Brazil for taking farmers along with this journey and convincing them that this is good for their bottom line as well? Yes, I think that is what Siniru and Eduardo already answered, but the main point is farmers need technical assistance. And we have great results, for example, with United Kingdom, we have a project that it's a part of the public policy that we call ABC, that the name is Sustainable Rural Projects. And what we are seeing is that for each $1 that a project invests in technical assistance, the farmers, they put much more money from their own pocket. So if you give the technical assistance and these farms, and for example, here in Brazil, we have the ABC program, that is the bank loan. It's a, in our agriculture policy, is a, a way to bring the cash flow to farmers. Because many, many times you can teach the farmers to move from the left side, from the right side, but they don't have money to do that. So ABC program is an example of it successful. And when we have, uh, I would emphasize this international cooperation and also already uh, examples from it uh, that Eduardo brings, when we have international cooperation, private initiative, and we give support for this farmer. It's important also to emphasize that it's not simple. Imagine you, I, I, I will give a very, very, very simple example. Imagine you, you are an economist and you work all your life in, in a bank. And then someone, when you are ready with 40 or 50 years, someone say for you, oh, why don't you change and you become an economics researcher, for example. It's not simple. So uh, this transformation, uh, produce food is an open sky industry. So the farmers, they need the support and techno technical assistance capacitation is essential. Donald, I wanted to come back to you on the issue of deforestation. It was really interesting, uh, all of the different figures you were laying out there when it comes to uh, the whole question of, of carbon neutrality. Um, but if somebody came to you and said, I'm worried about beef, I'm worried about the impact of beef because I hear it drives deforestation. Um, how, how would you explain to that person the situation that we have now and potentially the situation we could get to specifically when it comes to deforestation? I, we really need to stop uh, the de deforesting in order to produce beef. And that applies to every country in the world. And this, this 
the question then is how can that be done? And the answer is that it has to be done by governments for the most part. It's quite difficult to get this to happen just by market forces. So, so governments have to act. And uh, you, you heard that the, actually the situation in Brazil is that you have to keep 20% of land as uh, natural vegetation. And you can't just, just remove everything. So that, that is something which is very important. And that means that in many ways, Brazil is ahead of most countries in the world. But in many parts of the world, they are, there is still an economic pressure on individuals to remove uh, forest in order to get a little bit more land. And that is something which is, which is causing a great deal of damage. And so you, you, have to, you, you have to initiate new systems. You have to educate people. Some money has to go into help educating people. If you do this change, you will make more money per hectare of your land. And that is an important thing. And you have to have some kind of priming money which says if you use these better systems then uh, you you will get you will get a better return and here is a subsidy to help you change because there is an initial cost as we, you were discussing with the, the the previous question there's an initial cost in order to move to the more e effective system so it, if you want to move to a silver pastoral system you want to plant lucina or some let lucaina the uh, one of the uh, high protein shrubs and if you want to put in trees which whose leaves can be used, especially in dry periods when there isn't much to eat. Those things take money and they take time. So you have to help farmers to change. And the first step is very often, for example, in, in Ethiopia, there is a lot of land which is degraded, uh, not all of it. But in order to change that, you need to put in fences. And that changes the whole way of living of a lot of people. So you have to spend money on fences and explain to people why they need the fences so that you need the education you need money from government and most of all you need money to say you are not allowed to do this you are not allowed to do that and it has to be enforced um we have had lots of great questions coming in from the audience so i want to go though to those uh, in a second but i did want to ask about cop 26 first as we're looking ahead uh you know just in a couple weeks uh, when we're thinking specifically about agriculture and about beef even in particular where do we think all of that is going to fit in in the negotiations uh, siniru I, I want to ask you since you're really looking at a global perspective here what are you expecting from this particular COP when it comes to agriculture, getting a hold of agriculture emissions. And then even down the line, obviously we'll have a COP 27, COP 28. Uh, what are you expecting uh, the, the global parties to work out there? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question. And uh, we also need to remember in this context that uh, the agriculture sector within the negotiations are something new, right? We are talking about um, the past uh, less than 10 years. Uh, agriculture has been, um, I mean, included in the negotiations. So that's one point I would like to highlight. And in this context, the fact that agriculture, uh, the agriculture sector, sector is on the table on the, in the negotiations is something great, right? So people start looking at the, the sector, uh, consider the sector, try to find solutions for the sector, and the contributions from the sector, right? So I think that's the major uh, thing that happened in the past years, right? So what I expect in the coming years or in this year, in the coming years, is that we really uh, 
are able to integrate all these systems, right? And find connections and find solutions to streamline uh, finance, uh, again, technical assistance, opportunities across the board and not only for sectors that are primarily the, the major emitting sources and etc. So again, to, to wrap up, bringing the agriculture sector to the negotiation table is something great because people start considering the sector and try to find solutions to integrate all these, uh, all these, <clears throat> uh, let's say the problems and solutions towards the uh, uh, achieving the climate goals. Point that it's actually relatively recently that agriculture has even been brought into this. So there, there's a lot of possibility here, and I think also a lot of it's it's driving a lot of momentum uh, for people to be talking about the sector. Uh, did anyone else have thoughts on COP26 before I go to the audience questions? Okay, no. I do. So let's, if if uh, it's ahead. possible, yep. Yeah, yeah. Really, I really love to add. Uh, two words, collaboration and NBS. Nature-based solutions will be the name of the game. So uh, it's really important to all of us to be aware because uh, there's a lot of sectors, a lot of countries that saying, guys, renewable energy, it's, it's given, you know, we must move in that direction. So what's the next? The next is nature-based solutions. The challenge for all of us in the egg sector, including for sure livestock, it's include ourselves in nature-based solutions because most of the companies and governments, they're still today, they're looking for, oh, okay, nature-based solutions, forests, you know, planted forests or native forests, but forests. And now finally, there's a lot of governments, a lot of partners, uh, looking at livestock sector, you know, as uh, 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 an agriculture in, in general, as a main source for carbon capture. So yes, agriculture could be a part of the solution, not just a part of the problem. So for me, it's, it's one of the main topics. The second one is the collaboration. So it's really cool to see uh, a lot of countries, the, the prime minister, you no know, Johnson, uh, yesterday in a meeting, uh, with uh, our president and uh, the ministries, uh, some of the ministers, uh, he mentioned that, he mentioned collaboration. Uh, president Biden said the same thing. So there's a lot of leaders in the world saying we must work together, public and private sector, business and science. Science is really important if you want to move faster. We are moving in the right way, but we, move, we must move faster. That's for me are the two main words here, the collaboration and nature-based solutions. Thank you. Mariana, you wanted to come in on this COP26 issue as well? Yes, I think that Eduardo was very happy what he told before. Collaboration is the key words. And one more point that agriculture and livestock can be part of solution. And it's important to emphasize that uh, agriculture is also one of the sectors that is more, more vulner vulnerable to climate change. And very quickly, I would like just to, to mention that last month, uh, we had the pleasure to, to, to hold, uh, Alok Sharma, the 
COP26 president came to Brazil and uh, we visited a farm with him, uh, with him here in Brazil and he posted a video on his Twitter talking about how he was very impressed about this technology that we present before. In the video, he, he also mentioned that all this technology for, from agriculture should be brought uh, for the rest of the world. So I think that this is an important point that for COP26. Thanks a lot. So let's go to some of these questions from the audience. Uh, so I have two for you, Mariana. Uh, these come from Rainer. Uh, so first question is, Mariana, to my knowledge, CO2 emissions by cattle farming is coming from methane emissions from the cattle. How does it work to become carbon neutral by having cattle below trees? And his second question is, Mariana, there are technologies to reduce methane emissions from cattle by food additives. Is this a suitable way also to manage greenhouse gas emissions? Yes, for sure. Let, let's start for the first. Uh, there are some greenhouse gas um, in the world, and I, I will highlight three. Carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxide. So, each of uh, one of these three gas has a different potential of a global warmer. So, for example, methane has the potential more than three, uh, 30 times more than carbon dioxide. And for uh, nitrous oxide, the potential is uh, 300 times more, more or less. So, what are the scientists they are doing? They measure the methane. And then they measure the carbon that the trees can fix. And then they do the account. So let's suppose if there is the emission of 10, 10 tons of methane, they multiply, multiply per, per the pot, uh, potential of global warmer, warming, and then they convert for carbon equivalent. So this is a account, and then all the conversion is in the carbon equivalent. So if, if this is example for methane. If we are talking about uh, uh, nitrous oxides, they multiply by 300. And all the methodology you can find in Embrapa website follows the uh, IPCC rules, the international rules. And the second, sorry, Dave, can, can you just me remember? Uh, second, second question, question is on um, uh, uh, reducing methane additive. emissions from cattle by food additives. Yes. So I think that when we, we, we think about so climate change solution, we, we must think out of the box. We must think technological innovation research. And last, last week or 10 days ago, uh, Brazil approved the use of this additive and it was the first approved in Brazil. And the scientific research uh, shows that can decrease until, depends of the production systems, as already Dr. Brown already presents, uh, until 55% of the cattle emission. So uh, taking, again, the other points, when we think new technology like the additive and this production systems, this environment where uh, 
cattle calls are raised, we, we can think of the solution for neutralize or decrease uh, the greenhouse gas. So, Donald, you wanted to come in on this issue of methane emissions and food additives, right? Yes. Uh, so the first thing is that methane, although methane does uh, uh, is has a much more uh, if have much more greenhouse gas effect, it doesn't last very long in the atmosphere. So it isn't actually correct to say that it's it's twenty eight or thirty times worse than carbon dioxide because it's only there for a few years. The carbon dioxide is there for longer. Some other greenhouse gases are there for a thousand years. So 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 you so the, the calculations. Uh, of, of the FAO, which are published, are actually not correct because they didn't take proper account of that. But methane is still very important, and methane can be produced, uh, as Mariani was just saying, uh, by there are about 30 different substances which will reduce methane production. Uh, it means that the, the organisms in the gut are not producing as much methane, but still energy is being produced and turned into, into the, the beef product. Uh, and this is sometimes done by planting different plants, and sometimes it's being done by adding something to the feed. So it depends on the, how extensive the system is, how easily you can use it. We're not going to be able to solve the whole problem by feed additives, but we can have a useful effect with feed additives. Overall, we, we, we need to, to do about five different things in the farming system uh, in, in, in order to uh, solve the problems. We can't just do one thing. We have to have a package of things. And I think the other speakers have all said the same thing. Great, thanks. So the next question is for Siniru. It comes from Sergio Raposo. Siniru, I've got that by 2050, it is predicted, I've got meaning, uh, he understood that you said, uh, uh, that by 2050, it is predicted 25% more meat with a decrease in greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, but he didn't hear the amount of this decrease. Could you please give the number again for the accompanying decrease of greenhouse gas emissions? Sure. Uh, thanks, uh, Sergio, for the question. It's, it's good to hear from you. And uh, according to FAO estimates, it's projected 20-25% more meat, uh, beef production by... Uh, 2050 uh, and what I said is like if we implement best practices at scale we could eventually reduce in 50% or more depends on the level of improvement the emissions associated to the, the this beef production Thanks. So we have a next question here. I think this one is going to be for Donald and possibly also Eduardo. The question come, actually two questions come from Bill Grayson. Uh, first question uh, for you, Donald. How can degraded pastures be restored while still being used to produce livestock? And the second question is, what is the difference between intensive and semi-intensive and extensive silvopastoral beef system? Donald? Yes, thank you, Bill, for that uh, question. Um, the, uh, so the, 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 the first point is that degraded, the best way to restore degraded pasture is to remove the animals for a period, and the period will depend on how much it is degraded and the nature of the area. Uh, and you sometimes are, are need to reap to plant, to put in plants in order to, to, to do it. And if you're going to do that, 
then and you have an appropriate environment, then if you can put in plants which are going to result in a much greater level of production, so plants with high protein plants with high protein leaves, then that, that is, uh, is going to do better. So you have to take the animals off. Now, that's one of the reasons why there's a cost for the farmer. You have to take animals off the area and you have to replant, you have to, or you have to let it regenerate, which takes a bit longer. Uh, and you have to uh, possibly even uh, put water on it. Uh, and, and so that, that's going to take some time. So that's a cost for the farmer to remove the animals from, from the area, but it's going to be worth it because the productivity will be greater and because you will be, will be having a less adverse effect on, on the environment in, in the long run. And then the other uh, point is about these different uh, systems that uh, uh, a semi-intensive system is one where you have such, uh, you have quite a high proportion of high protein plants growing. And that means that for a, for a hectare of land, which you are having closed usually with, a, with electric fences because you move the animals on from one plot to another. In order to do that, uh, you, 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 uh, you, have, uh, you can have quite high densities of animals and that's why it's referred to as semi-intensive. Uh, so you, you, you don't just leave the animals out there, you put them in for a fixed period. So, so it's rotational grazing and not set stocking. Um, which is perfectly, which takes a little bit more manpower. So you uh, have to spend a bit more money on the, the number of people employed, but the increased productivity is easily enough to cover the any the extra costs of the plants you have to put in and the extra manpower. So, but that's what is meant by it. It's called semi-intensive because you you have more animals per hectare while they're grazing, but then you move them on after in order that they don't destroy. Uh, the 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 area which they're which they're grazing. Uh, Eduardo, did you want to come in on this as well? Yeah, I think it just uh, uh, Professor Broom over <laughs> really well. Uh, uh, but uh, I just I just say like in numbers, you know, when you talk about the intensive uh, or the extensive, let's go with the, the worst case. No, an extensive degraded pasture lands. What we can do, we can put not more than one animal per hectare, and this animal will produce or will uh, gain weight uh, 100 grams per day. When you go in this semi-intensive uh, 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 systems or semi-intensive systems, uh, we are talking about five animals, you know, per hectare, but each animal can gain like a one kilo per day. So that's the difference, you know. If you multiply, you will understand the challenge. For sure, the intensive systems like feedlots, we put 100 animals, uh, uh, it's completely different. But, uh, and that's the beauty. We can move uh, in a way that farmers can decide the amount of money that they will spend. Because in the end of the day, uh, the biggest costs, the two biggest costs by far, it's fencing and it's the animal itself. You know, when you talk about, oh, okay, let's run from one animal to five animals, who will, you know, buy uh, four animals? So it's it's not that easy, you know, to buy a cow, to buy uh, uh, any, any kind of uh, uh, cattle that uh, the farmer wants to produce. No, it's beef or whatever. So that's the, the challenge. And that's the reason that we should uh, include financing systems on the ground because uh, the farmer will need more money and again different systems all over the world i used to be the the 
the president of the Global Roundtable in Brazil for sustainable beef. I travel all over the world for almost five years. And it's amazing to see, you know, different realities in countries. But in the end of the day, it's also about good management practices, you know, and most of the times, yes, including fences, but as Professor Broom mentioned, most of uh, areas in Africa, like they're common areas. So we just, uh, we do have not just the most famous grazing animal for us, you know, for sure is a cow, you know, but if you go to Africa, uh, you have different kind of animals like uh, wild beasts, that they are also eating grasses. So, and how can we manage that? It's not as easy, like for example, in Brazil, like a ruminants in Brazil means mostly uh, cattle, uh, different also in, in some areas in Canada and uh, in Prairie, you know, in Canada, United States that you have bison. So how can we manage in a good way to implement those? You cannot put fences, for example, in those areas like in Prairie, it's not that easy. Uh, but we, we, it's important to include not just technical assistance, but also financing, financing systems. And, and again, for smallholders, like, uh, uh, we have, uh, uh, some questions about that. No, most of those farmers, they are smallholders. Uh, we will need a specifically kind of micro credits to help those farmers and to connect them with the real markets. That's it. Thank you. Mariana, you wanted to come in on this as well? Yes, please. I think that a good way to farmers start to recover pasture is with a, um, a certain amount of the farmer. If he, he starts with all areas, uh, as Dr. Brown already presented, the cost is really high. So one suggestion is to start to recover 20%, and then the farmers, they can sell uh, some animals, especially to bring cash flow to invest in pasture. So this is one point. And this, these are bringing good results to Brazil because when he, he started this learning process to move what he, he, he used to do with a certain amount of area, the risk to mistakes and it's, it's, it's lower. So this is one point. 10, 20%, and it's a process to recover all the area. And uh, just to bring some numbers, just to have an idea how, how can improve profitability. In Santa Bridge, the farm, when in the picture with a degraded area, the loss, uh, Maris, that is the owner, she, she had a loss of 100 US dollars per hectare, a loss per year. And last, last year, it's, it's also there is a point that the prices here in Brazil is really high, but last year he, he, he earned 1,400 US dollars per hectare. So it's really profitability. But now she has the crop, livestock and forest integrated systems. And finally, Davy, we talk about a lot about pastry animal nutrition, for example, with the additives, but here in Brazil, we still have big opportunities to increase uh, supplementation, protein and energetic supplementation. There's a huge opportunity, but we will also need to think about uh, improve the genetics. So uh, giving incentives for farmers move on from animals with a higher potential genetics to convert this pasture in more 
kilos beef or or liters of milk. I think this this is the point. Thanks a lot. So let's take another question from the audience. I think this is a good one for Siniru. Uh, This question is coming from Andre Kassenberg. Uh, What do you think about the One Health concept, including biodiversity, livestock, and human health altogether? Do you think that in developed countries we eat too much meat, which isn't good for us, and uh, maybe we in the developed countries uh, need to make a space for developing countries uh, that I think essentially is saying that they could eat more meat and developing, uh, developed countries would eat less. Uh, what do you think about that concept? Yeah, yeah thanks for the question. That's, uh, it can be polemic, right? And I'm, I'm an also, I'm, I, am not, I am not a health uh, specialist, but what I could say about that is from the let's say the climate perspective, uh, of course, if we, well, theoretically or mathematically speaking, of course, if we reduce the number of uh, livestock in, in the globe, we'll be reducing emissions, right? But uh, we also have uh, this dimension or this social uh, and economic dimension as well that we need to balance. And when we look at uh, beef or meat consumption uh, globally, we know that there is a huge gap between high-income countries and low-income countries, right? And, uh, of course, if we could balance that, reduce the amount of meat uh, consumption in high-income countries and increase the meat consumption in low-income countries to balance these, uh, let's say, food security or food access, it will benefit from the health perspective, according to some papers, and from the climate perspective, uh, when we are equalizing the access and consumption of meat. Uh, Donald, you wanted to come in on this also? Uh, yes, please. Uh, so it, it, it's if humans eat plants, then it is much more efficient than eating an animal which is eating the plants. Uh, that, that's a more efficient use of world resources, and there's no way that uh, there's no getting away from that. And therefore, because we have some shortages, and because we are likely to have more problems because of the many of the production methods, and it's some of the plant production methods as well as the animal production methods which need to change. I think that everybody that the average consumption of meat in the world should go down that people should consume a bit less meat. But as, uh, as you have just said, Sinero, it's the, it's the rich countries which need to do the first thing and reduce the amount of meat which they're consuming. And then which meat should they consume? I think they should consume animals which are eating things which we can't eat. Um, that is going to be, again, be the most efficient thing in terms of using, using the world's resources. We ought to eat herbivorous fish Fish are very efficient converters of, of, of plant material to something which we can eat. We should not eat carnivorous fish. So we shouldn't really be eating trout and salmon unless there's some way of feeding them without feeding them other fish. So those are inefficient things to do. And we probably in the long run should be consuming uh, cell cultured meat, provided that the cell cultured meat can be produced using plant material and not other animal material and provided it doesn't have other kinds of sustainability problems. 
So I, I think we need to see a significant change, but it doesn't mean we stop consuming beef. Beef, a certain amount of beef is always going to be an important thing in the world because uh, these animals can eat all of this pasture plants, which we can't eat at all. Otherwise, we can't, can't use a large part of the world, which is could otherwise be a human food resource. So we should be using herbivorous animals, uh, but we shouldn't be using as we shouldn't be eating as much of animals which need grain, because we could eat the grain. Eduardo, you wanted to come in also on this? Yes, I think just, just to give some numbers, when you go to WHO, the World Health Organization, they mentioned that every human being should consume at least 17 kilos uh, per, per, per year, per capita per year. Uh, when you think about, you know, most of the developed countries like uh, UK, uh, most of the Europe, US, Canada, uh, South Korea, you are consuming uh, 40 kilos, you know. Uh, when you go to Brazil, like we, we love beef, so we consume 40, 45. Uruguay, Argentina used to be the number one due to the crisis, reduced the consumption for 45. Uruguay today is arguably the number one in, in consume uh, of beef per capita, something around 55 kilos. China is the number one market for buying, you know. Uh, China is consumed five. I remember the first time that was there 15 years ago, they were consuming two kilos. And they put a plan to say, okay, we must increase the beef consumption. Uh, beef among all the meat, they are contain the most proteins, no, uh, we, the, the amino acids in the protein, no protein, it's quite similar, but amino acids is, is higher, but it's a, a, a higher cost uh, meat comparing to uh, uh, poultry or, or, or swine uh, beef uh, uh, meat. So it's interesting because when China decided to increase their consumption, uh, we start to increase their uh, the exports. Today, China is the number one market for, for Brazil, uh, for most of the exporters, the beef exporters. But it's interesting because we are the number one in export in the world, and we export only 20% of our production. So it's, it's really interesting, I think, to give some numbers. And if we consider Africa, for example, the consumption is less than one kilo per capita. So uh, it's really important, as Professor Brun mentioned, to understand the big picture. So, yes, uh, uh, developed countries could uh, reduce their uh, uh, beef consumption if they want, uh, and there is no huge impact, you know, in uh, uh, brain development in childhood, for example, because if you have to seven years, it's almost mandatory all over the world. You should give uh, high-quality uh, proteins Beef is just one of them, but uh, and, and that's the importance, you know, to have this, you know, to see the big picture and the impacts of uh, local policies trying to impact global ones. So for each country, that's okay, but it's it's really important to understand that, like in a global picture, actually we should increase the consumption, not decrease. Thank you. Thanks. So we have time for one more question. So as a final question to all the panelists, which I think is a good way to wrap it up, I'm going to put this question from Kyle Dittmer to the group. Kyle says,
to the group. What is the most feasible pathway to promote financial investments at scale to implement the different technologies and strategies previously discussed? Uh, so, um, uh, Mariana, let's start with you. Um, it's a very good question. I think that one, one, one point, and we are already working the, with this, is to bring it, it's to find this financial. And I think that one point uh, that we are having success here in Brazil, it's about all this in, uh, corporate, international co cooperation. Uh, this is one, one point that maybe Eduardo Basto can, can also add some information. So as a local, but as a global solution. And uh, with this finance, it's to, as we already discussed a lot here, is give condition to, to, to the protagonist farmers to assess, uh, access this financial and move the production and change their production systems. This is one point. Uh, very specific, uh, as I told before, we have the ABC program that is the, the biggest financing line to do that, that is in Plano Safra, this agriculture policy in Brazil. And we have very good results in the, pa in the past. So the agriculture, uh, the agriculture policies that took us one year, and last year, with the good condition of the market, uh, in six months, finish the amount of money. So farmers, they are looking for finance. So I think this 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 is one one important point. The farmers, they are looking for this financial, and we need to create this environmental for private finance, government finance, and to, to, to give conditions to, to far farmers take this financial. I think this is a very important key message. Financial, technical systems, educate the farmers and give you condition to, to, to just for this change. Thanks, so we have three minutes left. I just wanna get the quick thoughts from the remaining three panelists. Uh, Donald, let's go to you next. What's the best way to scale up this investment? The first thing is that the public are forcing change. The public are refusing to buy something. They're refusing to buy products if they think the welfare of the animals is poor or if there's a really bad environmental effect. So some of it is going to happen anyway because of these changes. What should governments do? One thing, they should educate. Good quality information is needed by people in order to make the changes. And for farmers, they do need some subsidy. They need subsidies which are very carefully directed towards the best, the most efficient systems for producing food in the world. Eduardo? Thank you. Uh, for me, strong KPIs to track the investments. So we, we, we must include these uh, key performance indicators to see if we are moving in the right way. And second, always connected. So every time that you deliver money, uh, loans, whatever does it means, always connected to technical assistance. It's mandatory. Otherwise, you just throw away money and probably a big part of that won't be invested in what we really need. So uh, could be in person, which is too costly, but also digital. So we must bring digital solutions to farmers as fast as we can. That's for me the name of the game for the next years. Thank you. And finally, Siniru. 
Sure, thanks. Thanks, Kyle, for the question. Yeah, I would like to talk, or my last comment on the opportunity, and I see, and just to, to complement my colleagues' uh, answers, and uh, I see uh, all these uh, pledges for net zero emissions by 2040, 2050 as a huge opportunity to connect the value chains, so from producers to consumers, to really find solution, from solutions and stimulate um, these financing and other opportunities to really uh, change uh, how we produce and consume food. Thanks a lot. Thanks to all the panelists for all the really interesting contributions to this. I think, as Sianiru mentioned, I mean, agriculture is a new part of these uh, international climate negotiations. So this is a really, really interesting area to watch. And for sure, there's a lot of different opinions about this. I can see them as they came through uh, in the comments and questions in the chat. Some really, really uh, great feedback there. So thanks to you all at home uh, for asking great questions and, and having some great contributions. There's going to be a lot to watch in the run up to COP26 and, of course, during those two critical weeks in Glasgow uh, later this year. Uh, so thank you again to the panelists. Thank you again for you at home for following along. And I wish you a great evening.